This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Kia ora, and assalamu alaikum. The Fireside Story Series has kicked off at Andua Mosque, and you are invited to be a part of it. Come and listen to members of Christchurch's Muslim community talking about their lives. On the first Sunday of every month until December 2021, three speakers will take the mic for 20 minutes at a time. They will speak for 10 minutes and answer questions for the other 10 minutes. The content will vary. The age of the speakers, the gender and the country of origin will all vary, but they will all be Muslims and their stories will be real and straight from the heart. So come along and hear our stories so you can better connect with us and we can better connect with you. If you would like to book a seat, please go to Eventbrite and search for Fireside Story Series and hurry, space is limited. And if you're a Muslim from Christchurch and would like to tell your story, please contact Brother Kai on 0279 408 320. So Christchurch, let's stay connected and keep the fire burning. Assalamu alaikum. Hi everybody. Thank you for coming and honoring us with your presence for this third gathering of the Fireside Stories. Every and each time it's getting more and more interesting with new series of speakers who are sharing their lives and their journeys with us. So uh, we have uh, some housekeeping rules before getting started. We have the bathrooms at the back and at the front, and we have the back and front doors, you know, right and left. <laughs> if you have any questions throughout the night, you can ask me or you can ask Brother Kai. Where is Brother Kai? Yeah. <laughs> I would like to just thank Brother Kai for coming up with these brilliant, amazing ideas to bridge, you know, to like build bridges and, you know, just get us all together from different faiths, different walks of life, just to get to know each other and share our stories, our happiness, our faith, our successes and our failure. We have three amazing speakers tonight, very excited to listen to them. Uh, we have Brother Muhammad first. I don't know, to be honest, all the speakers tonight, but I asked them to describe their journeys in just one sentence, and Brother Muhammad said, purpose. <laughs> so very curious to know more about Brother Muhammad, and I know that you share the same curiosity with me. So Brother Muhammad, welcome, <laughs> welcome. Assalamu alaikum, dear brothers and sisters. Thank you for being here. Every story, in order, every one of us has a good story. And every good story has a point A and a point B and a timeline we visualize that has obstacles that we need to overcome to reach point B, has memories and have sense of humor and familiarity that the listener can relate to. 
My name is Muhammad Abu Dalu. I am from Jerusalem, Palestine. And my story is in the middle, where point A is a little bit way back behind, and we haven't reached point B yet in the story. I come from a village in Jerusalem called Palestine, beautifully raised there. Spending time here made me realize a little bit more of the pillars and the core aspects that made me who I am today. The first one is my parents. I was truly blessed to have them and spending a lot of time here on my own made me revisit those memories, frame them, relive them, and truly understand how they impacted me. There's a lot of memories that the time will not serve me. And um, I only ask God to help me honor them and serve them as I supposed to be. The second pillar was the mosque village. There I met a lovely group of brothers where we shared memories, adventures, food, laughter, lessons, supposedly praying at night, but it was mainly eating and sleeping. It's, um, we learned how to, we learned the seerah of our prophet. We learned discipline, we learned respect. And it was a very safe environment that I feel does not exist anymore. The third pillar of who I am today is my culture. And that is a very broad word. If I want to visualize it in one scene, I would uh, bring the 13-year-old of me coming out of school at the end of the day walking through the busy streets of Jerusalem, the white noise, the white noises of people buying, selling, of the kaik, falafel, the clothes, uh, seeing the walls of the old city, having this mandatory eye contact with the Israeli soldier at the checkpoint, and then entering the old city, walking on the cobblestone, feeling the energy, feeling the spirit, and then ending it with the shining of the golden uh, dome of rock. And I was doing that for continuously three to four years. And one day, one day on that route was enough culture for me to keep me warm in this far, far land. These three pillars gave me the confidence to explore myself more, to explore my identity, to travel with what my weak passport allows me to. I lived in Palestine, Jerusalem, then going back to Palestine, then to Cairo, then back to Jerusalem, then to Istanbul, then back to Jerusalem. And there was always this feeling of unsettling, unaccepting. Um, I enjoyed a lot of the adventures, even going to Europe, but there was the lack of acceptance. 
this lack of acceptance also derived from the foolish realization I have that I can achieve what I want. I can be determined, and the more obstacles, the more energy. And that is the opposite of tawakkul ala Allah. And it is a very important fundamental in our faith. Uh, the idea that rest yourself. I should write it because I should read it because I have written it and it is in English. Rest yourself from self-direction for some for what someone else has carried out on your behalf. You must not yourself undertake to do it. And that we are not judged by results. We are judged by actions. And that actions are derived from intentions. Which makes our task much easier. We just need to work on our intentions, which from within actions derive, and then from within results will happen. And it will sort itself out. I steered away from the story. So back to Jerusalem, this complex love relationship with Jerusalem. I always end up in it somehow, even though I try so hard to um, settle somewhere else. My last journey from Jerusalem was here to New Zealand, in a vaguely details of how I ended up here. I ended up in Ashburton, late 2019, and that was what just happened. It was truly cultural shock. I um, somehow ended up here in Christchurch. And I had a lovely clinic, a lovely job, a lovely house, a lovely fairy companion that we explored this beautiful land together. And all of that did not, was not sufficient, did not cover the need for the light, and it was always darkness. So at the end, in the beginning of this year, I had to go back home and um, I tried to be in peace with accepting what the universe is trying to talk to me, that perhaps Jerusalem is the answer, just perhaps to try to work on the intentions and stop fighting and stop trying too hard. And eventually I was happy with that realization that Jerusalem is the answer. And um, I spent there four months and then tried to come here just to pack my things, end up properly, and then go back home again thinking that Jerusalem is the answer. But was it, said the universe. So in May, I, uh, I joined the march for Gaza and the Bridge of Remembrance. And there I met one of the best of us in the Muslim community. I met a lion called Khalid al-Nubani. From there, he introduced me to Nur al-Din. And uh, Nur al-Din hosts a gathering each week 
in his home. A hidden gem where we sit, we meet, we drink tea with the Raza, we sing together, we laugh, we eat, and it was, it was the answer. It was everything is needed. And it was not only my answer, it was a unanimous answer for everyone who was there. It was what is needed for us to connect to our culture. Point B in the story, the revise is the trajectory of that setting in Nuruddin House. Is the answer that to connect to our culture, to heal from it, to preserve it for the next generations, to introduce others to it in a proper way. We are going to call point B Astrolab. It's a point where I hope everybody here in this room joining, starting to attend Nuruddin House, my story has already started to be aligned with a lot of people here in the room that attends that day. But we, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm wishing, I'm imagining that point B, that the final trajectory of this need to connect to our culture is a part of all our stories here in Christchurch. That Wherever you come from, from point A, you have the same point B in all of us. Whether you're a Muslim community who needs to connect to your culture, or whether you're a non-Muslim community, that some reason you came here, that you want to know us, you get want to know us. We are going to talk about Astrolab at the 8th of August um, in New Brighton Community Center. I really wish that all of you come there, listen to it, try to understand it, and ask about it. I'm going to leave it here for today, but I would love to... Uh, the three pillars I have mentioned, I try to only take the title of it, but every, asp every one of them uh, had included memories that lasted me months staring um, on a fire on my own in the past year. So, for example, if you want to ask about the parent aspect or the mosque aspect or the uh, Jerusalem, the culture aspect, I'm really happy to answer. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Muhammad. Interesting and inspiring. Thank you, Brother Muhammad. Thank you so much. Purpose. Yeah, see, the first word that came to his mind, he depicted it through his journey and story. And yeah, that's purpose. He was seeking the purpose, and finally he found it. So yeah, very happy for you. Uh, Sufi, the scholar, the Muslim scholar and uh, poet, said the true journey of a human being is a journey inward, inside. It's not a place you go to, it's not a time you, you, know, you travel, it's not south or north or east or west. It is a journey you start inward. 
Ali ibn Abi Talib in Islam said, you won't know the creator till you know yourself. And in the Bible, it always, you know, throughout the Bible, know thyself. So the true journey, the authentic journey starts by knowing ourselves. So if you are journeying outside, please come back inside because the starting point is there. And I call, I invite you tonight to just reflect on that. Are you lost, distracted in the outside world? Or have you started your true journey? Just reflect on it a bit. Time to introduce our second speaker, Brother Tony. And when asked Brother Tony about giving a word, just one word, to <laughs> describe his journey so far, he said, be unexpected. Thank you and welcome. Brothers and sisters in humanity, assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you. We talk of journeys, talk of personal journeys from this place to that place, from A to B. And uh, there are, of course, different forms of journeys. There's the exterior, the external journeys, and the internal ones. The, in my own case, the external journey, the exterior journey uh, to this place, um, I grew up in the UK uh, in a certain time, a certain age. I grew up uh, in the 50s and the 60s. It was a time when there were hymns in schools. So I remember singing there in the morning when a knight won his spurs in the stories of old. He was gentle and brave. He was gallant and bold. With a sword by his side and a shield in his hand for God and for valor, we rode through the land. He rode through the land. So it's... it's uh, and, and you got brought up with a whole kind of set of pictures and dimensions and perspectives, sort of pictures of who you were and what was important. When, when I was a kid, the, the old Mercator maps of the world were the ones that were in our geography books. They were the ones with the, the straight lines of longitude and latitude. Uh, maps are, are strange things because maps show things not so much as they are, but they show what the map maker thinks is important. So the, the lines of longitude and latitude meant that the line of the equator, which is halfway to the, the imaginary line of the equator, which is halfway down, was kind of like two-thirds of the way down the page. Um, Greenland was massive and about the same size as Africa, where Africa is about 13 to 14 times as large. The USA was pretty massive. And, and of course, the zero line of Greenwich ran through London. So everything was south or east or southwest or northeast from us, you know, and you sort of in you, you, <clears throat> you're in danger of taking in a pattern, I don't want to call it supremacy, but everything is orientated around who you are. And that sort of, that kind of impacts on the way you go out into the world and the whole value system. There was, there was, there, there was a saying that was said to have come from a Native American, which is one of those one of the things you, you can say this about people. You, you can say uh, George Bernard Shaw said or Gandhi said or, or uh, Einstein said, and nobody's quite sure whether it's correct or not. But anyway, <laughs> this was um, a Native American saying, my son, the longest journey you will ever make is from your head to your heart. That's the interior journey. So I, I end up here in this place, in, in this mosque. 
And you get all kinds of perceptions about, obviously, Muslims, because we're talking about this community. Um, some years ago in this place, we had a group, a probus group. That's a group of sort of older people. I say older people. I'm one of those now, so it's, it goes very quickly, and you, you find yourself in strange places. And um, they were people who were just interested in different things, and somebody had organized this trip. And before and he said afterwards, he said, when, we, when he was organizing this, we're going to the mosque. This was years before the shootings. One person said, will they attack us? Which is kind of puzzling, but it, it speaks to the perceptions that are there. Um, it's like after the killing, one of the members of our community came out of the hospital and she was hugged by some ladies, but one of them said, I thought you people hated us. No, that's, that's a biggie, that one, because uh, hate is a, is a huge thing. Um, my own journey here uh, was via Singapore. I left the UK way back in 1981, and I went to work in Singapore, teaching in Singapore schools. Those pre-internet days used to do a lot of traveling around, and I went to a travel agent, and this was a, what's called there an Arab family, but that means that they were descendants of people who had migrated to Southeast Asia from the Hadramaut, from what's now modern-day Yemen. And we became quite good friends. I'd buy tickets and could go off to Myanmar, Burma, Indonesia, Thailand, whatever. Uh, and they, they, <laughs> they said one day, you should become a Muslim. And I, I think I smiled and said, you must be out of your mind. There's a sort of a continuum, I felt. And on one end, with kindness and compassion, that was Buddhism. And on the other the sort of raving lunatics, so that was, that was Muslims. Um, but you never know how things work. And, uh, and then I found myself years later sort of uh, having read through Taoism and Buddhism and all kinds of stuff. I found myself in a bookshop in London um, and I'd read through the Quran and everything and uh, the guy there said, um, I said, I'm looking at all this. I, I try to be a nice guy not to offend anyone. Uh, and I wonder about this book, which talks about what it means to be a human being, in a sense. And he sort of listened to me, and he gave me a blank piece of A4 paper and, <laughs> and said, write down all the reasons why you cannot be a Muslim. And I couldn't think of any, so he sort of signed me up, you know. Um, and since then, it, 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 it goes on. But this coming back to this idea of, of hate and perceptions of hate and of perceptions and prejudices and so on and so on and so forth... In the time after the attacks, we had floods and floods of visitors coming in from all over the place. Um, there was a young lady I remember particularly, and I've mentioned this many, many times, but uh, she came from Idaho in the States. And she came in in tears. And um, she was followed by a, a woman from Melbourne, also in tears, and the two were hugging one another. Uh, and the American... She said, um, my friends think I'm weird because I don't watch the news. I find it bleak and dark and I feel utterly powerless. And as I say, people are not coming in for lectures on Islam, but I, and I wasn't trying to propagate anything because they came in empathy. Um, but I said, look, you know, we have a teaching that says the best deed is the one that's done regularly, however small. So when you go back home to the States, if, if there's an old lady or an old guy living alone down the street, what can you do? You, you can be the one who smiles. And it can begin there. Uh, we had a French family 
that came into the mosque. Um, the father, a daughter, daughter's conjoint, her partner, I think, and their three children. And I sort of stumbled through with my dredging up my 50-year-old school French, which you can get by on if you do lots and lots of hugs, uh, lots of hugs, not hugs, lots and lots of uh, shrugs. Um, and anyway, I gave her my contact, and she sent me an email afterwards in French, which was she, she figured my French was <laughs> sufficient for me to be able to read. It, it was, but not to reply. But she said, she said, nous sommes admiratifs de la dignité de votre communauté. We are in admiration of the dignity of your community. And she said, we are traveling with our children in a journey of six months so that they can learn about the beauty of difference and to develop un grand cœur, a big heart. And it seems to me that sometimes it's our intentions that really count and how we begin. What is our intention? And that intention to take your children so that they can develop a big heart seemed to me something which is quite precious um, because this, this hatred thing, if you take it too far, is is really so destructive. Um, and I'm reminded here of um, a man called Malcolm X. If you've not read about Malcolm X, you really should. He was a man who spent a lot of time in prison, highly educated, self-educated, read enormously. But uh, he, he'd been brought up with quite a hatred, an understandable kind of hatred of the white man. And he... he used the name X because he said he said his family's own name came from Africa and, and had been lost. So the, the name Malcolm Little was the name of a previous slave owner. But he he then went off and he, he came into mainstream Islam and went off and made the Hajj. And his return, he was an absolutely changed man. And Eldridge Cleaver, who was of the Black Power movement, reflected on the change. And he said with that, I have so to speak, wash my hands in the blood of the Malcolm, martyr, Malcolm X, whose retreat from the precipice of madness created new room for others to turn around in, and I'm caught up in that tiny space attempting a maneuver of my own. And that precipice of madness, which is racial hate, is the, is, is the really tricky one. So I'll wind this up, but I just want to say one last thing, and that's about our intentions and the company we keep. Um, we have a teaching in Islam that says that a, a person's deen, which is translated as religion, but actually means complete way of life. A person's religion depends on who they're with. Robert Louis Stevenson, who wrote Treasure Island, um, he wrote a book called Travels with a Donkey. And uh, in it, he dedicated the, the, the book to his friend, Sidney Colvin. And he said in the dedication, we are all travellers in what John Bunyan, the guy who wrote Progress, Progress, in what John Bunyan called the wilderness of this world. We travel in search of a friend. Friends remind us of what is best in ourselves. And, and that, thing is, that thing is picked up again and again. Who will you be with? Who will you walk with? Whatever their faith, whatever their religion. Um, there was an American actor called Ozzie Davis, really good man. He died in February 2005. And at his funeral, people like Harry Belafonte were there and um, Clinton, Bill Clinton and Clinton said in his eulogy there was never a time in his presence when I did not want to stand up straighter speak a little better be a little more generous and it does seem to me that perhaps in stepping back from any of this sort of perception of preconception and conception and prejudice of what the other is 
we sort of test things out with our intentions, what we set out for. Uh, we look for the beauty of difference and we respect those who remind us of what's best in ourselves and maybe that's part of my own journey. Assalamu alaikum. <laughs> Thank you so much. Let me just introduce you. Uh, before introducing Sister Siham, Brother Tony said at the start of his speech, the true journey is from the mind to the heart, from the head to the heart. And that's so true because still it's an inward journey and still only from the heart we can touch the sky. So thank you for that. It was beautiful. Sister Siham is our third speaker. And when asked, describe your life journey just with one word, she said, contentment, Rida. I'm eager to listen to her story today. Thank you, Sister Siham. Thank you. Assalamu alaikum and kiora. My name is Siham al-Safiti, and today I will talk about my story in hopes that you see me in my real color. Um, the common thing is that people think that people, when they come to a Western country, they come looking for uh, better opportunities. I'm sorry, this is stereotyping. This was not the case with us. So we did not come to New Zealand. We did not come looking for a status. We did not come looking for a position. We did not come looking for wealth or even language. We had all of that before coming to New Zealand. However, we came to New Zealand looking for a safer place. But have we found it here? Can we can see. Anyway, I come from a very well-educated family. Um, to us, to me and my family, as Palestinian, we believe that education is the strongest weapon. So um, I used to be a head teacher myself for an international English school uh, called the ESF. And I'm daughter of a school principal as well as a head teacher. So he was a principal first, then he became a head teacher. That's a long story. And also a housewife mom who dedicated everything and worked really hard to ensure that we have the best opportunities, values, and education. My parents worked really hard to afford, and they sacrificed everything to afford sending us all to study overseas. I'm lost now. To study overseas and grow. And to give us the best opportunities so that we become independent and successful. Long story short, I had a very happy childhood living with my parents uh, while actually honoring our values and our culture and roots. At the age of 25, I got married to the most amazing husband who actually honored his family and cared for them, as they always came first. We lived a very happy quality life together. We traveled a lot, as I traveled a lot as a kid and also when I got married. Our daughters enjoyed the warmth of the family of our family, big family, and the trips, the travels, as well as the quality education. Now, in 2000, we visited New Zealand. 
and we love the area, we love the land, love the kindness of the people. There's so many little things happened that time that showed us Kiwis are really kind. So we decided to immigrate, we decided to move to New Zealand. I have to be honest here, at that time, in, in the Middle East, uh, in 1990, there was the Gulf War. And actually, the Gulf War was more like a shock. This is when people started to immigrate and to move, uh, to migrate or move outside the, um, wherever they are living for two reasons. Oh, and also for different reasons, actually, and uh, different means, by different means. The first group immigrated after 1990, those who were directly, my understanding, they were directly impacted by Gulf War, so they had to leave everything and leave and move. And the second patch, or the second group, they actually did not lose their jobs, uh, and they had more chances to think about where to go and to plan it. And we were part of this group. Long story short, in 2002, we actually came to New Zealand as skilled immigrants. And we were humbled to bring with us our knowledge, values, skills, education, and also our money. People told us that people like you will find jobs easily. With your skills and education, you will find jobs easily. Okay, however, this was not the case. This was not the real image. We started to live the real image when we really moved uh, in, into New Zealand, into Christchurch, and we started to find that finding jobs is very difficult. It's not easy, okay? Although our qualification, actually, they were acknowledged, but not my experience. I'll leave Abdul, my husband, aside now. Not my experience. So as parents, we had to juggle between making sure that our girls were not feeling the stress that we're feeling and the fact that we need to maintain stable quality life for them. So we were thinking, what should we do? Anyway, we already moved the furniture and everything. So <laughs> we bought a house, that's what we thought. We bought a house just to start somewhere. And actually, buying a house, that was um, in hope that we can look forward. Yeah. However, we had to do, we had to work really hard. We both had to do extra training. And I had to train as a teacher. And honestly, honestly, I really want to laugh because the one who told me to be able to teach in New Zealand, you have to do primary education. So I was misled. And then I did primary education. <laughs> when I did primary education, I had to learn how to teach numeracy. And it's not my topic. I hate math. And I had to learn how to teach a PE and also music. And oh gosh, God bless the family. <laughs> when I had to play the recorder to pass the exam. And God bless the family, honestly. Every time I go and practice, they all shut the doors and run away. <laughs> so it was a journey. <laughs> However, we, I found that we honestly had to work twice as hard as any other Kiwi. My husband, he was an IT manager overseas. 
And although his qualification from the US and Canada were acknowledged as well as his experience, he always get one sentence. Sorry, you are overqualified. We came to New Zealand as skilled migrants, so why we were not having the chance, you know? So, so he accepted to do so many jobs. He did data, data entry, and he managed, he managed a computer system for an amazing family's private language school. I'm not going to mention the name here. And later on, he worked for several organizations, including real estate agent, and also being an instructor and an interpreter. Oh, I forget to say something. Two months after we came, media was uh, at schools, and uh, media at our daughter's schools and at our place. And now again, when my husband, now I want to, that's why I remembered media, because now again media came to my husband, and me, and my husband was actually talking about the importance of utilizing the skills that you have in the country. And he left his contact number. He got directly several calls, and you will not believe the suggestions that he had. People were telling him to change his name. People were telling him to dye his hair blonde. This is actually, I find it very funny. Anyway, and, but however, of course, my husband did not accept it because he was proud of who he is and he was confident in himself. But I took this suggestion. <laughs> I honestly took this suggestion. I thought, oh, this is gonna open doors. I put on the CV Sue. <laughs> <laughs> this is our place. We moved here. We have to find something. I put on the CV Sue. Directly got two interviews. Passed the two interviews, and then after I passed, I told them my real name is CM, <laughs> and they said it's okay. I worked for a big organization, educational organization here in New Zealand for five years. Not one person, not even the student, knew my real name. And the only one who knew it was the head teacher and the manager. And they didn't mind it. They were really beautiful people. Anyway, later on, 2012, Christchurch earthquake hit. And we almost had a job. Not only me, everybody in where I used to work. So I was left only with 10 hours. Uh, yeah, 10 hours at one of the colleges. However, I have to say something. That we had been always content, Radhi. Yeah, me and Abdul and the girl. Anyway, not long after that, my husband, Abdel Fattah, he thought about buying a lifestyle block with a bit of land in order to grow self-contained. And honestly, he did really well. He fell in love with the land, the animals, the neighboring farmers, and he was very popular in the area. He was very well known. Actually, farming works, took him back to his roots in Palestine. And by doing so, he supported us to be self-contained. And he also enjoyed 
what he was doing. Alhamdulillah. So we really enjoyed living on, on the farm. We had lots of gathering, lots of people and friends used to come there. They did the mandi, which is a type of hangi, type of hangi. So Abdul had, uh, he did that, he prepared it. It's a type of hangi. And the people enjoyed uh, the hangi or the mandi plus many other activities. Now, actually, one of my husband's friends, he called his, his fall. Abdul the Conqueror. He called him Abdul the Conqueror to honor the loss of his friend. And this is a Kiwi friend. Yeah. Now, in short, I'd like to say in New Zealand, we started from the scratch. We used to have several jobs. Taxes were always secondary. You know what does that mean? So it was very challenging, honestly. We struggled here in New Zealand. Never had full-time jobs. However, money is not everything. As we succeeded to man three beautiful daughters who continue to value education, who they are, their values, and also what they have. Honestly, the real loss was not the money or the job. The real loss was when March 15 happened. And when the terrorist attack happened, and we lost Abdul Fattah. Can I have some more? <laughs> This, is when, this was the real loss, when we lost Abdul Fattah Qasim. The caring, the loving husband and dad. Honestly, no other loss is a real loss. That was the real loss. Except for, no other loss is the real loss except for the loss of a treasured husband and dad. And this is another story that I can't now talk about. That's because, first of all, I'm still learning how to walk in this new life and new me after the loss of my memory champion. Although I have to say that the same memories, they actually are the same memories that gave me the chance, the, the strength to stand up here and be amongst you. In short, I can see that in short, I'd like to say that it's not okay to stereotype. And you should never take anything for granted. Never take anything for granted. Abdel Fattah, he was a compassionate person, a kind person. He loved helping others. Died in, ho in hopes of saving his friends. This is the person that I lost. However, I took him. No, I, I can't say I took him. I took my life, our safety and the promise of tomorrow for granted. And I thought that losing a job or money is a real loss. That's not the loss, actually. I was wrong, honestly, I was really wrong, as the real loss was losing 
my guide, my supporter, and my companion. Thank you for listening. And I can guarantee that you will, you will learn anything from my story or resonate, but I can actually hope that I can give you gentle reminders, which is not to take anything or any, any beautiful people for granted, rather appreciate them always. And also another thing, stereotyping is hurtful, it's misleading, so if you want to understand and see someone for, for who they are, simply give them the opportunity to speak for themselves rather than or before you make it up yourself. Namihinui and Salam. Thank you. Do you have any questions? Thank you, Sister Siham. Sister Siham was very stressed before speaking tonight, actually. But have you listened to her? She inspired us. She made us laugh. She made us cry. She, I'm speechless, truly, really, actually. Because what you took us through, what actually you did tonight is taking us through the ups and downs of your life, through bravery and contentment, through pain and happiness. Thank you so much. We are very humbled, actually, to be part of this story. Thank you. That was very... Yeah, you have a question? Yeah. Um, it's, it's not a question. I just want to say thanks uh, for sharing your uh, very inspiring life story. Um, and there's one thing I learned from uh, your story was the changing of names. Uh, <laughs> when I came to New Zealand, I was also told to change names and stuff like that. But I always thought it's a you problem. Uh, I, I've got a beautiful name, so I'll keep it. Uh, but a couple of months ago, when, when I was looking for a new job, <coughs> uh, my colleague and I started applying for jobs, and he was getting back-to-back -back, uh, interviews. And be maybe because of my name, I couldn't. Um, <coughs> and then eventually I got one, and I managed to get a job. But I think uh, the thing what you did, uh, you had a fake name and then managed to get a job and then change it. I think that's, uh, that's an eye-opener for me. So a few years down the line, if I'm looking for a new job, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do the same. So thank you so much. Thank you, sister. See what you did? <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much for all the speakers tonight. And I would like to encourage you, actually, throughout the community to come and speak, just to promote you know, public speaking skills and to share our stories and to inspire and to just build the bridges, actually, and share our stories so the others, they know. Because uh, we assume that the others... They know, but they don't, truly. If we don't step up and share, nobody will know. So thank you so much for being brave and sharing. Thank you so much for honoring us with your presence tonight. And hopefully we will see you for the coming sessions as well. Thank you so much. Assalamu alaikum.